And so I really want to be careful today to take my time to, uh, through scripture, explain to you uh, what I believe real forgiveness looks like. And um, I, I, think, I think that one of the reasons that so many of us in this room can't see clearly is because we have been blinded by offense. And I want to talk to us today about uprooting the offenses that are in our life so that we can really see the light of God's glory in our life. How many of you are open to more light and less darkness? Amen. I want more light. So Luke chapter 11, verses 33 and 34, this is what the Bible says. It says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. We talked about that last week, right? Remember Satan, he masquerades as an angel of light. Darkness promises one thing, looks like one thing, but is something completely different. So he says, make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, how many of you would say, I don't want any dark corners in my life, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I'm praying over these next few moments you would deliver, uh, maybe for some of us, the first time, uh, a revelation on forgiveness that maybe we have not heard before. Maybe we've heard this before. I pray that it would just be solidified in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 I, I really believe that our sin problem is actually a vision problem. As Luke 11 tells us that if our eye is healthy, that if our eyes are healthy, then our whole body will be filled with light. But if our eyes are unhealthy, our body will be filled with darkness. That's why Paul prayed so passionately in Ephesians 1.18, and he said this, he said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light as though you, as, so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. His holy people who are rich and his rich and glorious inheritance. He's praying, he says, that your hearts will be flooded with light. Luke 11 really teaches us that our sin, our sinful behaviors are actually a vision problem. And they are how we cope when we don't see correctly. The stuff I do that is sinful is actually the way I cope when I don't see correctly. Because what it does is it provides temporary relief that makes me think I'm okay. When in reality, I'm just numbing the pain. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because work, alcohol, sex, drugs, entertainment, and even, yes, even spirituality can become addictive. They can become pain numbers. They can become something that masks the fact that I'm not really seeing things right. I'm not seeing things clearly. Do you know people can be over spiritual? Like so weird spiritually that you can't even have a normal conversation with the person. Have you ever met anybody like that? 
If you ever met somebody, they're so spiritual, they're obsessed with feeling something. And if they go to church and they didn't feel something, or like they didn't look up and the clock said 11-11, you know, and, or like they didn't get in their car and turn their car on and immediately, like Israel Houghton was playing, like they're so spiritual unless they feel something, they got to see something. They're so sense-driven. They're so driven by their senses, and they can come to church, and, and, and there can be hundreds of people in the church, and out of that, dozens crying and feeling something, but they leave and say, I didn't feel anything. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, listen, if I've got 10 kids, and eight of them are eating uh, a meal that I'm cooking, and they're healthy, and there's two of them that are eating the same meal, and they're unhealthy, there's nothing wrong with the meal, there's something wrong with the kid. You ever met people that are so spiritual, they're looking for flaws in everything. They've become good at recognizing where everybody else doesn't meet up to their standard of devotion to God. Well, okay then, nobody wants to talk about it, but it happens. And, and, and what, what has happened is church has, become, church has become their drug of choice. Spirituality has become their alcohol. Spirituality has become their addiction. Church can be an addiction just like drugs can be an addiction because when you start to come to church and you look at church as a place you use and not a place you serve, then it's just as much of an addiction as any other addiction somebody has. When you come to church and it's like, preach to me, sing to me, fix my kids, fix my marriage, you're no different than somebody going to a corner and looking for a hookup. No wonder you keep hopping churches, you're looking for the church with the best product. I don't, I don't know. And, and, then, and then that's why that's why you can stay for a church for a while and then you become dissatisfied because you become you become immune to its effects on your life after a while. What used to make you high doesn't make you high anymore. So you gotta go look for a new one. Oh, okay. All right. Anyhow, nobody wants to help me out with that. No different than a man who uses a woman to meet his needs than a person who treats the church like a drug. I'm just letting that sink in just a little bit because I feel like it just needs to sit there a second before somebody's like, can you please move on? Because like if you move on, I'll, that won't sit on me any longer. But I just want that to sit there for a second because I, I want you to know when you, when you start using things that were never meant to be used the way they are used. You're you've now abusing them. That's what abuse means, is that you're using something in an abnormal way. And when you're doing this, it's because you don't see correctly. When you use medicine incorrectly, you don't see it correctly. When you use people the wrong way, it's because you don't see people correctly. When you use church, you don't see church as what it's really intended to be in your life. So our behavior is how we cope when we don't see correctly. Many of us are like the blind man in Mark chapter 8. This story is so unique because this blind man comes to Jesus. They bring him to Jesus and Jesus takes him outside of the town, gets him all by himself. The Bible says that he spits on his eyes. And when he spits on his eyes, he asks him a question. How's your vision? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, 
even if I could see, it'd be really hard for me to see right now. You spit on me. <laughs> and and the, man, the man responds and he says, he says I, I see men, but they're like trees. Well, men are not trees. But when you're better, but not whole, you see things incorrectly. We say this a lot of times in church, and I think we settle for this, but this is never intended to be the place we settle. We say stuff like, I'm, I'm, I'm not who I should be, but I'm definitely not who I used to be. And so we settle there. But God never called us to settle for better. He called us to be whole. And so Jesus asked the man, he says, how are you seeing? He says, well, to be honest, I'm not seeing very good. Like, I'm seeing men, but they look like trees. And the Bible says Jesus touched him again. How many of you in the room today would say, Jesus touched me again? I'm better, but I'm not whole. And I'm never closer to wholeness than when I can admit where I'm not better. And that's the problem with so many of us is we come to church and we just refuse to admit that we don't see it correctly. Like my attitude isn't correct. The way I see people is not correct. The way I see this situation is not correct. The way I'm behaving in this situation is not correct. And so God, I'm better, but I'm not where I want to be. Is there anybody in the room today who would just throw your hand up in the air and say, God, I'm better, but I'm not where I want to be. I need you to keep touching me in that area of my life. I want to be whole. I don't want it to be just good. I don't want to settle in a place that you never called me to settle in. I want wholeness in my life. I want victory in my life. I want no dark corners in my life. Man. Most of our dark corners are the result of offense. If you were to be completely honest, probably every person in this room right now has someone in their life that they're offended with. Some situation that you are not totally over. Something in your life that is not completely resolved. Something that you are holding on to. And because of it, you've got a dark corner. Because of it, you don't see correctly. You, you know you're not seeing correctly when you say, oh, men are dogs. Not all of them. <laughs> but just, I mean, a lot of them, but not all of them. <laughs> Women don't want a good man. They want a bad boy. Well, some of them, but not all of them. You, you know your heart is not in the right condition when you're, you're lumping entire groups of people and entire si- and, and little you know, situations into a category where it all doesn't fit. It's, they're not all that way. When you come to church and they take up the offering, psh, churches only want your money. No, we don't. And if you think that, don't give. I don't want that. We don't need that. I had a guy come to me one time, and he wanted to change something. And I said, listen, that's just not in our heart to do. And he said, well, then I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to give anymore. And he was, a, he was a big giver. And I looked at him, and I said, <clears throat> with tears in my eyes and a lump in my throat, I don't need your money. <laughs> you know what? He left. And you know what? The giving increased. 
<laughs> it's not all pastors are after your money. Some are. <laughs> Something about us is not correct when we start to lump people into, into a category. Well, they or they always. It's not, not, not all the time. And you're going to find yourself in that season over the next few months. Democrats, and Republicans, and those people. And just lumping everybody. No, 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 not all of them. Not. And so what is it about us? It's, it's the dark corners. It's the areas where we've been offended and we haven't gotten through it. We haven't gotten past it. So we are now blinded by offense. Do you remember uh, just a few months ago when that situation happened on the football field with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns? See, even if you didn't watch football, you probably saw this or heard about it. There was a, there was a fight that broke out. And in this fight, uh, these two guys were going at it. One of the guys had a helmet in his hand, and he hit the guy with the helmet. And then the teammate came around, and he started punching at the guy with the helmet on. I think it's hilarious when people start punching their bare hands on somebody with a helmet on. Like, bro, you're not, you're not doing anything right now. But they asked one of the guys after it was over, they were like, what were you thinking when you did that? And he said, honestly, I wasn't thinking. I, was, I, I literally blacked out, and the next thing you know, it, it was over. Blinded by rage. See, you've got blind spots, and you don't want to admit it. So let's deal with the blind spots. Let's deal with the blind spots that are in our life. Luke 17, 3 through 6. Let's talk about it. Luke 17, 3 through 6, Jesus says, hey, listen, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, just like I'm sure you're saying right now, increase our faith. He replied, but if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to what? This mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. See, here's the thing about offense. Every time you get offended, a root develops. And if you don't deal with the root, see, see a lot of people think they're over it because they cut the tree down. But if you don't pull it up by the roots, it's going to keep growing in your life. And you'll find yourself mad over situations and angry in situations and enraged in situations like, Why, where did that come from? What was that? You didn't deal with the root of the problem. And Jesus is saying, hey, let's stop dealing with the leaves and the branches. Let's get down to the root of the issue. So when you come to church, let's stop dealing with the leaves and the branches. Let's get down to where you really are. Because you're acting this way for a reason. You're behaving badly because somewhere your vision has been impaired. You're not seeing correctly. And to see correctly, we got to get rid of this root that is in your life. I'm going to walk through this scripture and I'm going to say some things to you that many pastors would never say to you. And, and, and I'm going to break this scripture down in a way that, that many people refuse to break it down because they don't know how to deal with this scripture. But I'm going to say this to you, and I'm going to say this with confidence today. I'm not saying this because I, 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 you know, I, just, I hope this is right. No, I really believe that this is right because this is the way I see the Bible as a whole. 
Anytime you see a scripture that you cannot reconcile with another scripture, you have, to, you have to find a way to reconcile it. Or in your heart, you will believe that the Bible contradicts itself. But I just don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. I don't believe that James and Paul were at odds with each other. When James said, you know, faith without works is dead. And Paul said, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. I don't think they were arguing with each other. I don't think James had a problem with Paul. I think they're saying the same thing. I think James is literally talking about not a faith that saves you in heaven, but a faith that is seen by men. Paul is talking about a faith that saves you. Faith that saves you is by confession. It's through repentance. It's not of works. But a faith that helps people is a faith that doesn't just say, you know, hey, be warm and be filled. You know, you see somebody hungry, like, I hope it gets better. I'll pray for you. No, God said real faith says, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bring you a meal. I'm going to help you. I just don't believe the Bible is full of contradictions. I believe if you really study it, that you can, you can discern what God is really trying to say. And this is one of those scriptures I want to help you with. Watch this. First of all, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, stop there. Because there are a lot of people running around like, I'm offended, and what they did was not sin. Let's just, let's just start right there. My feelings are hurt. Okay, your feelings are hurt, but they don't need to repent for something that wasn't sin. They don't need to apologize to you because they didn't like your Facebook post. They don't need to repent to you because they took your seat at church. A lot of stuff you're offended over isn't worth being offended over. Can we just start right there? And God is saying, listen, let's deal with sin. You're running around crying over stuff that's not even sin. God's like, listen, as a Christian, you got to let that stuff roll off of you like water rolls off a duck's back. You cannot get caught up in petty little things that are going to keep you trapped in something you were never supposed to be trapped in. So you got to literally let that stuff go. It cuts you off and on the highway. Let it go. You're offended. They, they unfollowed me on Facebook. They didn't sin against you. He just unfollowed you. Man, as a Christian, can we stop being so sensitive? But watch this. Jesus says, if they sin against you. So what do I do when they sin against me? What does that mean? It means they, they break God's law against me. They lie to me. They steal from me. They cheat me. They abuse me. They sin against me. Not they hurt my feelings. They sinned against me. What do I do with that? Jesus says, watch this. This is the first step. <laughs> and we miss this step. Jesus says, rebuke them. Somewhere along the way, we just, we just started to assume as Christians. I don't know where we started to assume that when people sin against us, we're just supposed to lay down and let them drive over top of us and keep backing over us and then run over us again. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm just supposed to take it. No, Jesus said if they sin against you, rebuke them. Let them know they hurt you. And one of the reasons you are having a problem letting it go is because you never let them know. 
And you're expecting them to figure something out that they don't even realize. Jesus said on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. But what, what would happen? The Spirit of God would come, and what, did, what would he do? He will convict men of their sins. He will let them know. You remember Jesus you killed? That was wrong. I'm trying to help somebody here today. Because you have to let them know they hurt you so that they can, you can let them know they were wrong. The gospel isn't good news if there isn't some level of wrong. Like, Jesus died for me. Jesus rose for me. Yay! Why? Because you're a sinner and you're going to hell without Jesus. Oh! What's the point? If there's no repentance, if there's no admission of wrong, what's the point of all of it? So I got to let them know, you were wrong. And then they're left with, well, was I wrong? And then they have to decide. And then the Bible says this, watch what Jesus says. Jesus says, and if they repent, forgive them. Nowhere in Scripture are you commanded to forgive someone who doesn't admit they were wrong. And it's going to be quiet in here for a few minutes because I think you've been told your whole life, you've been quoted scripture, forgive as God has forgiven you. And that's right. But God doesn't even forgive you until you admit you were wrong. And the assumption has been, I'm just supposed to get over it. I'm just supposed to move on. I'm just supposed to act like nothing ever happened. I'm just supposed to act like you didn't sin against me. See, when you get to heaven, even though God is full of forgiveness, and Jesus paid for forgiveness, and God is available if you will ask for forgiveness, he will forgive you. But if you get to heaven, God is not going to look at you and say, or you get to the judgment room and, and, and you look at God and you're like, am I, am I, we good? <laughs> and God's going to be like, well, listen, I know you didn't respond to the gospel. I know, I know you never felt conviction for your sin. I know you never repented for all of your unrighteousness. I know, I know, I know you never asked me to forgive you. But because I'm so forgiving... When we tell people to forgive someone who hasn't repented, we are asking them to do something that God doesn't even do. So no wonder some of you are walking around with this guilt conscience, like I'm supposed to forgive them, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to let it go, I'm supposed to move on, I'm supposed to, and, and you're trying to do something that God himself doesn't even do. And so we're left with, if, 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 I'm, if I can't forgive them, what do I do with them? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching. He says, hey, listen, let's, let's talk about your enemies. What do you do with your enemies? You love your enemies. And you pray for your enemies. So even when they don't ask for forgiveness, I can let it go because I rebuke them. And now it's on them. And so many of you are having a hard time letting it go because, again, you didn't let them know. But if you have let them know, 
That hurt me. That was wrong. It's on them. And you now can walk in the freedom that God has given you. And what do you do? Love them. Just love them. I'm going to pray for them. It's hard to hate somebody you're praying for. It's hard to hate somebody you're asking God to bless. But if I'm ever in a room with you and you sinned against me, I'm going to let you know every time we're in the room. I'm going to let you know every time we're in the room until you apologize. Because that's what God does to you at church. You don't get to come in here and walk out with your sin without God saying something to you about it. You don't get to come into God's presence and him just be like, oh, that, you know, you're cheating on your wife. No big deal. I'm good. You're looking at porn 24-7. Ah, no big deal. You just cheated on your taxes. No big deal. I'm good with it. No, God, when you get in his presence, he will remind you that part of your area is still dark. That corner is still hidden from me. Let me put my light on it. How about when you repent of it? Things can really change. Listen to me. There can be no real restoration of relationship until the person who has offended says, I'm sorry. Just can't be. I can love you. I can pray for you. But I can't be in a real relationship with you. There's just a level of intimacy. See, watch this. God loves everybody. But everybody isn't saved. The only people that are saved are the ones who admit, oh, I was wrong. He's right. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I choose you. So until you see correctly, see, your vision about forgiveness has been all jacked up. No wonder you're struggling because you've been trying to overlook something you were not intended to overlook. If you, if you have stolen from me and you can't apologize to me, I'm not going to trust you with my money. But if you have repented, that's where it now falls to me. If you have repented, Jesus says, listen, if they do it seven times in a day, but they come back and say, man, I'm sorry. I repent. I, I don't know why. You're supposed to be like, it's all good. Let's try this again. Because forgiveness is huge. It, it means that the, the relationship is restored. I'm not, you're not at a distance anymore. I'm not going to look at you sideways anymore. I forgive you. The slate is clean. I'm extending my trust. I'm extending, I'm extending that. I'm, I'm giving this to you. I'm putting my heart in your hands again. I forgive you. And then, and, and they're good. They're good because it's like, okay, somebody hurts me. They sin against me. They ask for forgiveness. I can do it. And then Jesus is like, but if they do it seven times in a day, you're still supposed to forgive them. That's when they're all of a sudden like, ah, 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 ah. increase our faith. (laughs) 
Increase our faith. Man. How do, so if, if it takes faith to do this, how do I increase my faith? That's the, that's the question I need an answer to. Like, because this requires faith. I know I'm not operating in faith when, when all I think about is vengeance. Vengeance is an indicator that you still have a mulberry tree on the inside of you. And some of you are believing a lie today. You're believing the lie that if they hurt, you'll be healed. If they hurt, I'll be healed. And you have to catch this before it kills you. This is why the rebuke is freedom. This is why the rebuke is necessary. It's, a, it's the part of the process that we very often miss. Because, because now I'm walking around and, and, and I'm trying to make you feel what I feel. I'm trying to hurt you the way you hurt me. But to get free from vengeance, I have to tell you you hurt me. If not, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to make you feel what I feel. That's why you start to argue with your spouse and, and all of a sudden you say something totally ludicrous and ridiculous. Why? You want them to hurt the way you're hurting. So you're hurting because they don't trust you. And so you try to lump something on it. Yeah, well, your daddy's a loser. Oh, now you feel what I feel. Now you know the pain that you caused me. When to really deal with it, I just have to let you know, when you say that, that hurts. But I haven't, I haven't really dealt with it if I'm still trying to make you feel what I feel. That's not going to help you move on. And some of you, some people have hurt you so bad and they've, they've taken so much from you that the only thing you're left with is the anger that you feel. The resentment that you feel. And you're like, man, if I let that go, what do I have left? Because the only thing that makes me feel like I have any power or control in this situation is that I'm mad. And I will cut you. I will slice you. You come near me. Second Amendment. I'll show you. We hold on to that. Because in some way we think that if they hurt like we hurt, It'll heal us. That won't heal you. The apostles had it right. At this time, they're just disciples. They said, hey, increase our faith. I don't, you're saying this, but I don't see it. Help me see this clear. How do, how do, I, how do I see it clear? How do I increase my faith? First of all, Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. When I stop believing that my future is good and that my past is the final say, I get stuck. But as long as I still believe somewhere on the inside of me that my best is yet to come, do whatever you want. Say whatever you want. 
my faith is looking forward. Increased faith is a faith that looks forward and not backwards. So many people are getting into wrecks because they're try, trying to drive forward looking in the rearview mirror. You cannot drive that way. Your vision is bad when you're looking backwards all the time. You've got to look forward. You've got to believe that no matter what they said or what they did, how they hurt you, how much it broke your heart, how, how painful it was, you have to believe in spite of all of that that God has the final say about your life. You have to put more value in God's word than their opinion. I have to look forward in my life. I have to believe that even though this hurts right now, God is something good for me in my future. Even though that relationship seemed to take all of my strength, God has a better relationship in the future. Even though that situation seemed to drain me of all of I had, God has something better in the future. My future is better than my past. Faith, secondly, to increase my faith, I have to realize faith is not a feeling. So many people live on their senses, and it's these types of people that are blind. They're, 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 they're living by their senses, and they, they become addicted to things that can't really solve the problem. They numb it for a little while, but they can't really solve the problem. That's why the Bible says we don't live by sight, but just people. Faithful people, righteous people, Christian people, they live by faith. I'm not living my life based on what I see and what I feel. If I live that way, man, I'll stay here for forever. Increase my faith so that I can feel a world around me that's more real than the world I see with my natural eyes. That's why Paul said, I pray that your spiritual eyes would be open, that you would see through the light of God, that your hearts would be filled with the light of God. There was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he had a servant who was looking, and it looked like they were completely surrounded by the enemy. And the prophet prayed, he said, God, let his eyes be open so that he can see that you are on our side and that there are more for us than against us. When you start to believe that there are more against you than for you, you're not living in faith. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith isn't a feeling. Third thing, faith is fueled by God's word. So I increase my faith by looking forward. I increase my faith by realizing I'm not going to feel this all the time. Thirdly, I increase my faith by letting it be fueled by God's word. Will you stand on your feet with me? Psalm 119 is really powerful. In 25, it says, my soul clings to the dust. But give me life according to your word. I love that the psalmist is able to admit that because when, he, when you're able to admit where you are is when you are the closest to your wholeness. He says, there's this part of me, God, that loves to cling to the dirt. Is there any of you in this room today that's like, man, like a, like a pig loves mud, we love the dirt. Sometimes we're more comfortable in the dirt than we are in church. But he said, God, I don't want to stay in that place. I want to come into wholeness. I don't want to just be better. I don't want to, I don't, I, I don't want to just see ministries. What, what, if, what if Jesus would have touched that man and he said, so how you see? And he's like, well, I've never seen anything before, so I'm guessing this is really good. So he just runs away and Jesus is like, uh, come back. And I think so many times we settle for I got a little bit of sight. I got a little bit of breakthrough. I got a little bit of healing. 
I got a little bit delivered. God's like, don't stay there. Stay for the whole thing. Stay until you get completely whole. Pray until you break through. Man. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says, all scripture is breathed by God. That means God's breath is in his word. If I want my faith to increase, I've got to have God's breath in my life. The only way to have God's breath in my life is to read his word because he has breathed on his word. And when I read what he's breathed on, it does something in my life. I'm telling you today, you need to develop a habit, a habitual reading of God's word. There's so many people that come to church and like Sunday is, is this feeling that they get. Sunday is this high that they get. And then on Wednesday, they're like, oh, if I could just make it to Sunday. Church was never intended to be like the, the corner drug dealer that you go to to get a high and then you just make it until you can get high again. You're misusing God. You're misusing the church if it's just a place you go to get high so that you can make it to Thursday. That's not the way it was intended to be. You were intended to feel the same thing you feel in here on Tuesday afternoon when you get out of work. You, you, but, but where we settle, we settle for better. Better is a life that just barely can make it to Sunday. And if I don't get to Sunday, and if thank God, thank God it's, thank God it's first Wednesday. It's not the life God intended for you. He didn't, intend, he didn't intend for you to live that way. Mark 4 and 15 says, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which was sown in them. Satan snatches the word because he hates the faith the word produces. And he hates the lies that it uproots. Right now in this room today, you've been hearing God's word and lies have been uprooted in your life. That's what God wants to do for you, not just on Sunday. He wants to do that for you on Wednesday afternoon in the car line. This is the life he's intended for you, not better, but whole. Come on. Somebody needs to throw their hands up in the air and just say, God, I'm not settling for better when you've offered me whole. So, Father, in Jesus' name, today we make a decision that we're going to stay for the second touch. We're going to stay for a third and a fourth and a fifth. We are, we are getting from you what we need. And that requires more than just a Sunday touch. That requires a Wednesday touch from heaven, a Thursday touch from heaven, a Friday touch from heaven. In Jesus' name, we pray. Come on, and everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, I love you so much. I got to get you out of the parking lot.